how much do you know about mystics and like mysticism and what a mystic is or was? Not much. To me, what comes to mind is someone who's living life on a different plane, right? That's hmm. kind of less society and something that's deeper. But I guess they pay a high price for something that might be very valuable, but who knows? <laughs> I love this. You know nothing or not very much, but you do have an opinion on it, which I appreciate, which is probably <laughs> encapsulates everything of human existence, right? We really don't fucking know much, but we yeah. do have sort of an opinion as a position. We are positioning ourselves towards anything and everything. Even when we hear a word and we don't understand the meaning, we will position ourselves somewhere, either curiosity, desire, or rejection, or oblivion, and just like, you know, apathy. We position ourselves to everything of life, right? As we experience it, we have to place ourselves somewhere in relation to these things. But all these things are very kind of fleeting and half transparent, and we really don't mm -hmm. understand. So we, we have to make, we have to place unlimited bets. I read this somewhere, but this is so long ago. I have no idea where this is from, but it was some sort of everything in life is a kind of a continuous gamble. You continuously place bets for or against things. And we're all kind of degenerate gamblers. As we are living beings, we have to constantly gamble. And perception is a never-ending gamble, right? You perceive something that very moment you have to make a gamble. Is this a threat? Is this a friend? Is this something I can ignore? Something I should pay attention to? So it's funny. You know, it makes two of us because I don't fucking know much about mystics. The thing that you said, funny enough to me, resonates more towards my position to... I don't know how to say it in English, like ascetics, these people that go into the woods mm. and kind of reject all of life's real things. So they, they don't have clothes, they don't eat much, they eat as little as necessary to somewhat survive, but not to thrive. And they just sit there in meditation. I don't know what they do. You know, these kind of like, I think it's ascetics. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mystics, which I also don't know much about, if not almost nothing. The thing that I like about that, well, one, when I did a little bit of Googling, I mean, we're talking a total of two minutes, right? Not, I didn't go very far in that rabbit hole. But when I did a bit of Googling, this seems like it originated somewhat in religion, like people that had a mystical experience that was tied to spiritual or religious experience, right? But then when I look at, you know, when you look at famous mystics, people like Rumi pop up, people like... Kabir pop-ups or like poets or like people that were, to me, the word and some of the people that I'm aware of, again, I'm probably completely wrong, but I like my wrong. Maybe that's why I didn't continue reading because I sort of like, I like where my mind is going with this, is my current definition of a mystic with zero information about the, or very little information about the word, is someone that is placing the mystery of life at the center of their being, right? Someone to some degree that is contemplating, observing, realizing the mystery of life. Now, once you're fully immersed in the mystery of life, that will tend and tilt towards spirituality, you know, that will tilt towards certain things because it's not tilting towards you know, explanations and science and rationalization necessarily, it tilts in the different direction. But it's not that. To me, the moment it fully touches an explanation, 
it's not mystical anymore. When I listen to great spiritual teachers, there's a portion that my heart is resonating with really strongly. And I've noticed that that portion is always when they're blowing towards the mystery of life, the beauty, mm-hmm. but also the mystery, mm-hmm. the magic. And there's a, a rejection that is happening within me, a resistance, anytime that they touch the tree of explanation and of completeness to some degree, like a, a complete explanation that's mm-hmm. finished. There is the 17 rules of the universe and this is how they break down i'm out that moment i'm out of the door i'm like i'm not interested in this when it's like well you know there have been two million and seven you have to live on average two million and 77 lives before i'm like up that up i'm not interested in this anytime anything is a full explanation finished complete it seems and reads and hears and feels false to me to me the beauty is in the expressions, not explanations, in the expressions that are incomplete, that leave a good chunk open in darkness. Like this is sort of what is being expressed in the universe that I've observed or experienced. And it might point in this direction, but we don't know what the finish line is. We don't know what the end is. We don't, we cannot explain it completely. Anytime somebody expresses their life or their truth that way is like a, somebody playing beautiful melodies and the strings of my soul. And I'm like, yes, yes, this is true. This feels true to me. And anytime they explain something, it's this dead thing. It's the sterile thing. And I'm like, no, I I don't care if it's Jesus Christ or the Buddha or who it is. The moment the explanation is fulfilled, complete system. Yeah. Here is the truth. This is the, and God did this in X days, and then he did this, and then that happened, and he, the future, exactly this will happen. I'm like, I'm out. Like, I'm just out. This doesn't, this, this now feels like the human mind that took something that happened and ran with it a little bit further, right? That's just like, mm-hmm. this is not complete, so I will complete this, right? Mm-hmm. I will finish this truth. So it is comprehensible. Like, so it's complete. It takes real, it is challenging to not want to complete the to not want to fully express and explain like to express yes but to express incompletely is tough for our soul little human souls like we just want to nudge this a little further ending yes and the mind the mind is so so beautiful that it will very poetically extend itself to complete what you have experienced in a way that will feel very satisfying, very, very satisfying in the moment. It's such a, it's such a tightrope act to notice when the heart has ended and the mind is running to finish the race. When It's such a tightrope act and it's almost impossible to win this. You constantly kind of stumble into being one when you thought you're still the other. To me, that is something that I find tremendous beauty in. And I've been pondering this in silence. And I thought I should speak this out loud before I am ready, because that's always the best time to say things out loud. It's just before you're ready, which is that I've been thinking maybe the next phase of my life is going to be dedicated towards mysticism, like acting. I'm not being anything, right, in some philosophical sense, you know, I'm being human, but I've never been, you know, yes, I'm a father, yes, I'm an entrepreneur, yes, but these tags I've always loved at times, but also at times 
knew their falsehood, right? There's a there's an attachment that comes with it and a comfort and a, a solidness that is false because we're all so fluid. We're all like a million things at any given time and nothing really in all things. But I was like, yeah, I mean, if I had to give the next phase of my life attack, it seems like this is this is a beautiful little river and it flows in a it its current is going in a direction that feels right to me. And it's like, yes, that feels beautiful to me. Pondering, living, expressing the mystery of life. That's cool to me. Bringing the truth to people. No, like that feels so terrible to me. It just feels so wrong. I'm like, oh, no, no, I don't want that. Now, expressing my current truth to people, yes, but that always comes with a terrifying awareness and certitude that that truth in this moment will be false in the future again. Like it's just a, a snapshot in this very moment. It will not last forever. It can't. And so I will be proven dumb and wrong, and I will challenge my own word and my own truth in the future if I want it or not. Like if I really flow, I will contradict myself. Right, my life will be a contradiction, a never-ending flow of contradictions. But the the idea of putting mystery at the center of your life, contemplating, expressing, experiencing, playing with, pondering—that seems exciting to me. That seems adventurous and very beautiful. And it seems right now the closest to whatever we can experience or express as truth, because fully expressing. A truth can only be very personal, like what you would you have in your heart right in this very second, and very incomplete. Like it always has to be incomplete if it's true. If it's complete, it can't be true, right? You are grasping for completeness, which life can't offer you. Like nothing in life is really complete. We don't understand anything to its full conclusion and in a way that will sustain and maintain in centuries to come. There's just no way. So that's my current definition of what a mystic is. And if that's what it is to me, that's what I'd like to be if I grow up. Like when I grow up, I'd like to become a mystic. Like that seems so cool to me. It seems so exciting to me. Yeah, I've been pondering this for maybe two or three months now. It's like, it's not really at the center of what I, but like, mm-hmm. I don't think about this a lot, but I've noticed this interesting, rare, now it's becoming more common, but used to be very rare for me, situation where I both feel like I have a tremendous kind of affinity for something, a word, an idea, something that just resonates within me, but at the same time, I don't want to research and learn and study up on it. I have sort of a place in my own little being of what that means to me in that moment. And I kind of want to keep that. And I was like, Christine, yeah. Yeah, keep that raw little stone inside of me and not turn it into, polish it into whatever the a diamond that it could be so that others would admire it. No, 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 whatever it is right now, that's, the, that's what it is for me. And that's what I want it to be. And when I think about kind of the recent adventures that I've been on that are more spiritual. To me, what feels most beautiful and most true is not a path towards full truth and towards some type of, even when I say God, to me, I say God as a mystery, not as a known quantity and entity that I now can package up and distribute to the world and give everybody my little thing of like, this is the way the truth and this is the way that you should experience certain things but more in the this is how my heart has been touched by the beauty and mystery of whatever you know the the source the the thing that 
is beyond our senses. And uh, let me just express it because this is what it needs to do through me. This is what feels like being alive to me right now is to express that, right? Uh, yeah. To share that, to play with it, to experiment with it, right? To ponder it. But so, yeah, who knows? This is why I also wanted to talk about it because it's this very raw little nugget of a thought that's not developed. And so capturing that exciting, beautiful thing about it is that A, mainly to me is that in the future, I can look back and listen back to this and see, like, how did it develop? How, where I am now? Like, did I really grow up to be a mystic or did I grow up to do something totally different or to experience life more mystically? Or do I think about these things completely differently? But yeah, I like the idea. I've, I've become more and more enchanted by mystery, by magic, by the, the part that isn't explained is the part that I find most beautiful. Something expressed as raw as possible, which means not fully and completely. Those things are where my heart sings. And anytime I turn the page and the next thought is a complete truth that is just so, my heart withers away. <laughs> it goes all dark and dead. And I'm like, ah, no matter how much I love the person that's saying it, no matter how the page before I was, my heart was singing, the next page, my heart is just like, no, no, this isn't, this isn't it for me right now. Yeah. There is a, the sort of tyranny in practicality. I had this thought today. Being too practical is tyrannical. It's, I don't know, it's maybe tyrannical is not the right word, but it's working against life. Being not practical at all <laughs> is maybe being too alive right? Being so alive that you'll wither away very quickly. Like you burn so it's just, you can just live like that for a very short period of time, but it will be very exciting and you will be very alive, right? Mm -hmm. But being too pragmatic and too practical is a deadening of life. It's too constraining. constraining. Yeah. It's too constricting, constraining to express life fully in this very moment. I have this pattern. It is softened a bit but I still have it. It's it's a pattern that had, has built over decades for me. So it takes time to kind of, you know, rechannel it into a different direction where sometimes I am too practical, too pragmatic. I think I had too many steps and tried to order all the steps in the perfect efficient flow. And therefore I construct something that's too complicated. And then it's hindering me from life and from accomplishing a lot of these things. So I'll give a recent example. I am back in Germany for two months. I'm in this beautiful house that has an indoor pool. You know, it's a great delight to swim in the morning. It really is. In the cold water, it's really refreshing. It's really energizing. But I have a lot of morning routines now. <laughs> a pretty busy morning. And I keep adding things to it. So I wake up in the morning, the first 30 to 60 minutes, I sit in silence, I contemplate, then I do some mantras, then I do some breathing techniques, then I do yoga, then I do breakfast. And now that they're swimming, I ideally, I'd like to swim after the yoga. And then I shower after the swimming, which is the most logical thing. And then I would start my day, right? Now, the problem with this is that it's quite a lot of things and they have to all go in order. And some mornings when I don't feel like doing the first thing in this routine, 
everything else halts. The morning contemplation is always the easiest. That just happens. But if I don't feel like doing the mantra or something else, then it's sort of like everything stops and is now waiting for that first step to happen before I allow myself to do the other things. Now, if in the morning I felt like swimming first, then showering, then doing my breathing techniques, and then doing yoga, which is what I did today. For many days, I would just, if I felt like swimming first, meaning I did not feel like doing breathing techniques first or something, everything would just stop. And I would just try to force myself to do the first thing so I could do all the other things. And part of my thinking would be, it makes no sense to swim and shower and then do breathing and yoga, which also is kind of a little tiring. I might sweat a little bit. It's not like a whole kind of workout. I'm not drenched. I just light, uh, slight sweat. But the truth is that today, this stacking was amazing. It was exactly what I wanted. And if I had, if I had insisted on the structure that was most pragmatic sense. It also makes more sense in my mind for some reason to do the breathing, you know, before going to the cold water and, and swimming. Don't ask me why. Something in my mind when this gives me a lot of energy and it kind of like fills my body up with oxygen, it's probably good for swimming. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's sort of what I thought once. And so I'm holding on to that. And if I held on to that, either I would have made all these steps and every single thing would have been a struggle and a little bit unsatisfying, or I would have not taken the first step and I would have wasted time. And then eventually I would have looked at the, this is something that has happened to me a couple of times since I've been back in Germany. I look at the time because I resisted that first step. And then I go, well, I now only have one and a half hours before I have my call with Ramin, before I have the podcast recording. I cannot do all the things in one and a half hours. Hmm. And then I ponder, should I just do it after? Now think about this, how insane this is. Now I take one and a half hours and I will fill it with bullshit to not, because I can't do the whole three hour routine. No matter what it is, most of the time, it's a pain in the ass. This, what shall I do? I have to do five things. What is the most pragmatic, practical order of it? Well, it makes no sense for me to go and visit my friend now and then tonight go shopping. Let me go shopping and then visit because I'm going to be outside already. I'm not saying that there's no use in being pragmatic and that there's no intelligence in saying when I'm already on my way and something is on the way, it's better to make a stop on the way to something else than to go twice, right? I mean, that's true. That's so true. But life is not always about being pragmatic and being practical. And also ask yourself, I have to ask myself, my incredible pragmatism and thinking aheadness has oftentimes ruined my days because I either force myself to do these things in this order or because of the tyranny of the order, I didn't do any of them or very little of them. And I accumulated tremendous tension. So how pragmatic is it really to think this way when you have zero flexibility, when you have no ability to alter your plan? This all goes back to you have to be your own shaman. You have to be your own doctor. You have to be your own teacher. You have to be your own therapist. You have to. The thing is this, when we are looking for rules and for ways of doing things that are set in stone, there's a beauty in it, which is that you can do things where one thing builds momentum on the other, where you make it simpler for yourself. And over time, you build habits. And so things just happen automatically that don't require willpower. All that is accurate. The truth is, though, as well, that when you hold on to that too much, what it really signals and signifies is a complete inability to ever listen to yourself in the moment, to truly follow your heart to truly follow your soul, to truly follow your inner voice. Because life is very dynamic. Things are changing all the time. 
And what you thought would be right for you right now, a week ago, might be completely wrong for you to do in this very moment. And if you're not present to listen and flexible to adjust, to adapt, you're just living in a sort of tyranny that is the opposite flip of the coin of the tyranny of having no willpower and discipline and no pragmatism whatsoever, where everything is always chaos until you're dead, right? That's crazy. But being this hyper-focused person that only disciplines his way and only pre-plans his way to everything, that's a tyranny as well, because you no moment is ever alive. You're never, ever present to truly feel what is right right now for me. You can never flow. You can never be spontaneous. You can never adjust a plan because you cannot know a week ahead what will be right for you on Tuesday, February the 15th at 11.45 a.m. Like you just cannot plan your life this way. Everything you will do will be dead and therefore bad and wrong for you. And this sort of flexibility to have discipline and willpower and pragmatism and to have creativity and spontaneity and an ability to adjust, all that, all these things are tools for you in your core that can be used and utilized only in the present moment, only in the right now. You have to have cultivated a sort of inner listening and a distinguishing the voices, you know, to know when to press and when to pull back, when to challenge and when to cuddle. It's like a great coach of an elite athlete. If you pay attention to elite coaches in sports, they don't just have one regimen with their one athlete. And they're like, no matter if it's day and night, no matter if it's after competition before, no matter how the athlete feels, 365 days a year, every day, we just go through this plan. They don't. The greatest coaches, they have principles, right? They have certain principles they use, certain ideas, methodologies, but they also have great flexibility and they pay incredible attention. They know their athlete better than the athlete knows himself or herself and better than the coach knows himself or herself. And they pay attention and they adjust and they know at certain times when the athlete goes, I cannot go anymore. They know they can. And so they push. And at times when the athlete thinks I can do even more, they go that you can't and they pull back. And they know when to keep to a strict plan where the athlete goes, I'm bored out of my mind. I hate doing the same thing. And they go, this this hate is your art. You keep doing this. And then they know at times when to completely surprise the athlete and go, why are we doing this completely new thing now? Why are we resting now? I don't feel like resting. I feel like doing things because they have, if they're really truly great, perfect perspective. They observe and know and study the athlete, their body, their mind, and know it better than the athlete knows themselves and know when to push, when to pull. Even the most hard ass, the most difficult trainers, if you really like study and read a lot about their work and what athletes would tell, you can tell that they are adjusting, that they are flowing, that they're moving, that they're not just one rigid thing. Because what's the point of that? If there's one thing that you should do and I can pre-write it for the next 10 years, then I'll just sit down, dictate it for a day, boom, give you the recording. That's it. You don't need a fucking coach. But how could I? I didn't see what was going on in the last match and notice that your you know, left leg was lagging behind a little bit, that, you're, that something in your body wasn't moving right, that your mind wasn't fully there to know that I have to switch up the training or change the environment or pull back or push hard. I can only know how to like 
train you if I'm there present in the now observing what is happening to you, how you're moving, how you're flowing, how you're performing. And it's the same way with ourselves. We only can be great inner leaders, great inner coaches, when we learn to listen really carefully, to know and understand ourselves really well. And then in the moment to know and sense and tune to, I don't want this, but I know it's going to be good for me. And what doesn't want this in me is the part we need to encourage or push or discipline. And in the next moment, I don't want this. And it's because this isn't for me right now. It's my soul speaking, my heart, my truth. And there's something here that will not be good for us. So we will listen and reject this, although we wanted to do it, or although we plan on doing it. And that's why there's no answers in the world that are universal. That's why there's no truth or no path that is for everyone in the exact same way. That's why those answers don't exist, right? Because it's very simple. Just listen to yourself in the here and now and follow. But it's the hardest thing in the world because you have to learn to really listen. And because it's not always going to generate the same result. And people go, well, this is crazy. Should I always push myself or not push myself? And anytime anybody gives out a rule that's like, anytime you don't want to do something, tell yourself to shut the fuck up and do it anyways, which is something someone that is speaking right now might have said a couple of times to many, many people. When you have that kind of a hardened rule, it's because you're saying, I don't know my soul. I don't know my heart. I don't know how to listen to myself because I don't trust any of my parts. I will set a rule that more often than not might bring the outcome I'm desiring. There's nothing wrong about that. There's a use for that, just like for everything in life. But you have to know this will come with a price. You will get many, many good results, but you will pay a high price. If you are an over-disciplined person like I was, the price is that your life will become more and more black and white. Your feelings will be more and more cast away and you will feel emptier and emptier, although your life becomes richer and richer and you become more and more convinced of your strength. And you're like, wait a sec, my whole life, I want to be so strong and I wanted to be so capable and so accomplished. And now that I have all this, it's all tasteless and it's all empty. And I feel like I'm totally lost. That's the price you pay when you only live in discipline, when you only live, live in these pre-made, pre-cooked up rules. Now you can be the opposite where you're always just like, you know, winging it and you have zero discipline. You're always in chaos and there's going to be a price paid there too. You might have some fun. You might have a much more relaxed life. You might laugh a lot more, but you'll have a different type of sorrow and ty- tyranny, right? You, you'll have different problems. You know, it seems like the the, the most truthful place is only in the here and now, can only be decided when you're present in the here and now. And then it becomes an art form, right? It becomes a, I have 10 tools, but every car that is brought to me that has a defect, I will take a look with open mind. I won't just always change the engine to every car. Like there's tires that are, that are you know, flat. I'm not changing the engine to that. It's not like, it's always the engine. The engine is the most important thing. So we're always going to be changing the engine. That's not going to, that's not going to, it's going to work a couple of times. Many times it will work, but it was very inefficient. You could have just changed one 
little thing in the engine instead of the whole fucking engine. But you'll have all these tools, you'll have all this knowledge, and you take one car at a time, you take a look at this moment, and you ask yourself, what do I have to do? But that requires great flexibility, which is not a skill we ever develop, right? That that true flexibility. People are like, oh, I'm so flexible. But they're not because they can only they can only go with the opinions of others. And then they're like, oh, I'm so flexible. Or they can only go with their impulses. Oh, anytime I want something, sugar, TV, going out, I'll, that's not flexible. Flexible is knowing when to be a hard-ass, disciplined, absolutely obsessed, forceful, you know, manifestation of willpower. And in the next moment, be a little dancing fairy that is like, you know, uh, uh, artful and painful and it doesn't care about time and space. That's flexible. If you can hold both these, if at any moment, spontaneously, each of these two could manifest through you, that's when you're flexible, right? Flexibility, <laughs> it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not very easy for us because it does as a prerequisite, it demands of us to listen, to hear, to know. It requires us to know ourselves, to know these inner demons and voices and angels, to know where is this coming from and what do I need to do? And that requires great presence and awareness. And it requires also the amount of like inner relationship building where you start where these parts of your soul and parts of yourself take shape. So they're not just all one soup. You're just spooning off the soup of a thousand ingredients. It's yummy, but I don't know. I can't tell you on this spoonful what all the ingredients are. Like, I just can't say. Eventually, as you start practicing, these ingredients take shape. They form away from the soup and you, you crunch on the carrots and you, you, know, you taste the salt and you can tell what's on the spoon. Uh, and so in the moment, you can tell, oh, what's holding me back now is different from what was holding me back yesterday around the same topic. And so where yesterday the answer was push, today the answer is pull. And it's like, people are like, motherfucker, this is too much work. Why can't we just have one answer? The reason why, the more you need one answer, the less you live in the now, the less you know yourself and you can listen to yourself. There's zero trust. There's no trust in yourself because you need all these rules because there's very, very little trust in doing the right thing at the right moment. This morning, I did not want to go into the pool and swim, all right? I really didn't. But I also didn't want to fucking breathe. I didn't want to do yoga. I didn't want to do any of these things. I was in a really good mood. Like I loved sitting and contemplating life. That was beautiful. And then I thought, what should I do next? And I thought, well, yesterday I didn't go into the pool. Today I thought I should. And then I thought, oh, but I still don't want to. Right? Now I have this hardened idea on Sunday when I went for the second time into the pool with my kids and I didn't want to go. And I went in there with resistance in my heart. All I could feel was the cold. And all I could feel afterwards was that I don't want to feel the cold anymore as much. Yesterday, I was still living in Sunday when it came to the pool. And today, I was still living in Sunday when it came to the pool. And then I thought to myself, well, what if I just go down and I'll just see and touch the pool and then decide? And if my feet says no, once it's immersed itself in water, I'll skip today too. And if my feet says yes, I'll jump in. Like, I don't know if I want to be in the pool. I'm not, I'm not at the pool. I'm not like, it's not here. When I think about the pool right now, I am back on Sunday when I was in the pool suffering. So I went downstairs and I opened the, the pool room and the pool room is always really warm. Like the room is quite warm. Just the, the water is quite cold. And I closed the door and I thought, ah, I forgot how nice the room is. The room is kind of nice. And, and then I went down and I 
placed my feet in the pool and I thought, yeah, I'm jumping in. And then I jumped because the water was not that cold. And then I loved it. I absolutely loved every second of it. I was swimming and I was just so happy I went into the pool today. But the answer was, I can't decide this in my mind and I can't come up with some rule or yesterday you skip, but today you have because maybe I, you know, and this is really tricky. It's always, I find it easy for me today when it's just deviating a little bit from the plan, but when it is deviating a lot, I find it incredibly challenging. The last example on this is that comes to mind is when I was fasting and on the second day, I had this strong, my body gave me the strong signal, don't drink water. Don't you dare drink water. And I thought, no problem. I listened to the body and I wasn't drinking water all day and I did pay attention. I still was going to pee and, you know, I still seemed hydrated. I had energy. So I felt like it's probably okay. But by the evening, once the sun had set, I was in my room. And my mind was constantly saying, well, just take a sip. You don't have to drink a lot. Just drink a little. And I would place the bottle at my my lips and my body was like, don't you fucking dare. Don't drink. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, and I was in this inner turmoil. And the next day I thought, well, yesterday was yesterday. I'm excited about drinking. And my body was like, nope, still not. You can drink a little bit, but not much. That day was way more difficult, right? My mind was willing to give away a little bit and say, oh, okay, we'll listen to the body. Now one day of no drink is no big deal. But the second day, my, my mind was like, this is not good. We should just break this rule. Don't listen to the body. Just go ahead and do this. And keep listening in that situation was much harder for me, although it turned out to be a very good idea. I'm telling you now, if every day I would go down to the pool and put my of this week and place my feet in it and my body would say, no, this would be very difficult for me to do. Like a whole week, my mind would go nuts, nuts. Are you crazy? You have a pool. You could be swimming. You know how healthy it is. You know how much of a blessing. How could you not? Just because it's cold. What kind of a weakling are you? It would be so difficult. So (laughs) I've come a long way from, I would swim in half an hour in the morning, no matter how I feel, every day, seven days a week. And if I hated it every single day, that hate would be my pride. Now I was able to, you know, skip one day and then today not force myself. I I really wonder, unfortunately, I can't run parallel tests in different universes and be aware of all of them at the same time. But I wonder if I had forced myself and been like, no, you have to, would I have loved it as much as I did today? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It's so difficult to say, but I loved how I went about it, how it unfolded today. But I know I have some flexibility, a little flexibility where I used to be tyrannically disciplined, but I don't have unlimited or very much <laughs> flexibility. Once it stretches out a little bit too far, I can, I can tell you my mind is going nuts. It's like, what the fuck? We can't live like this. We can't just come up with the rules as we go. You know, we have to follow a code. And so it'll be fun to see how this unfolds. Does it expand? Do I contract back to my old being at some point in the future? I don't know, but I know that the, the truth and real aliveness and the real answer of what is right right now, only you know, and only in this very moment can you know. No book, no teacher, no seminar, no ideology, no scientific answer, no protocol, nothing can save you. And nothing can give you an answer that will be eternally right. Only when you're in the moment and you're able to listen 
to understand, to hear, to distinguish, and then to decide what is right right now, will you live fully? And you'll realize that by the amount of different responses you have to the moment, right? If you have many richly different responses to many different moments, maybe that's an indicator that you know, you're fully doing it and living it uh, versus when you have one answer to most moments or just very few answers to most moments, more than likely you're not living fully and finding the right answers that are right right now.